right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. Ha! Uh, what? <laughs> you didn't do anything stupid. I know. Oh, I was okay. Trying not trying. To, but now you made oh, it okay. stupid on your own. No, 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 no. No, I wasn't trying so to. you I thought was that I was going to say something about it. No, I was done with the bits, but you made it stupid. I don't know own. if that's true or not. I think it is. No, I think it was a just... self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. <laughs> um, we're going to talk to Sean Warner committing to KU here on today's show. We also are going to be joined by David Lesky of Inside the Crown to talk a little Royals baseball. They won a series against the Dodgers over the weekend. They yeah. traded a role as Chapman. Very elite. Plenty to talk about with uh, him. Case of the Monday is coming up later in the show. We also have a stupid scale in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, there's a big guest coming on today's show in the 4 o'clock hour that I know a lot of people are going to want to listen to, though. That would be one, Phil Steele. Phil Steele of Phil Steele fame. That That's when you know you made it. When, like, the way to describe yourself isn't like, oh, I'm Derek Johnson with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. It's like, no, I'm just Phil Steele. You just know me because my magazine is called Phil Steele Magazine. So uh, we're going to talk with him, KU football and Big 12 football, coming up at 425. We've got a couple segments with him in the 4 o'clock hour. You're not going to want to miss that. Over the weekend, Deshaun Warner committed to KU. He is a six foot four, 225-pound edge from Goodyear, Arizona in the class of 2024. Desert Edge High School, that is the same high school as Jonathan Kamara and Andre Gibson. He's a three-star recruit. He has an 87 grade on 24-7 sports where he is the number 48 edge and 12th ranked player in the state of Arizona. On the 24-7 sports composite, he is ranked 674th nationally, the number 46 edge and the 14th player in Arizona with a grade of .875, which I went back and looked and actually Actually, it's a big deal anytime KU gets a player, you know, outside of the top. I say the top 1,000 thing all the time. If you get a player with a composite grade of .8600 or higher, that's a big deal for Kansas. So he's well above that. And the schools he picked KU over, there's a long list of schools beyond the schools that were actually his finalists, but just the ones who were finalists over the weekend with all the hats on the table. Um, Kansas, Oregon State, Texas, and Washington picks KU. Yeah, and this is a uh, a huge commit for a variety of reasons for Kansas. Uh, I think right now, in today's version of modern football, besides the quarterback, what is the second most important position on a football field that's being prioritized the most? Defensive end, mm -hmm. or pass rush, right? And KU did not have a pass rusher yet in there. They did not have an edge guy yet in their, uh, in their recruiting class for this year. So it's just a huge commit from that standpoint of – this is a, a position of priority, a position that is going to continue to be very important, and you've just got a guy that you feel pretty good about being a top 700 recruit in the country to add to already a pretty illustrious high school recruiting class for Kansas. Uh, so it's it's a really great commit. And, and again, it's now – I can talk about this last week, but it's the idea that if you're Kansas, just being in the discussion with some of these other Power 5 schools of that caliber is one thing, but now you're you're winning. You're getting guys. 
and you get another guy from the same high school, Desert Edge. So you you continue to establish and continue to build that pipeline uh, out there in Arizona. You beat some Pac-12 schools for him, and it's just a, a very very impressive commitment for Kansas because. Again, I mean, this is this is probably the second most important position on the football field right now in today's modern game, and that's having a pass rusher. So for Kansas, if you can get a guy like this that can develop in a year or two and, and become that impact guy, that's huge. Yes, it is. The comp that was given by uh, Michael Swain from Fog.net, Dorrance Armstrong, if he lives up to that, then that's huge. it's obviously a huge home run. Very win. good, yeah. Right, 100%. Um, so this is a kid who's athletic. You'll probably look to add weight to him. That's the case with like every high school kid ever that you bring into your program. Uh, there were some videos that Kevin Flaherty was tweeting out of, of his first step and his ability to you know get to the quarterback and everything. Really athletic, powerful player. He's a top five recruit for you in a class that is already really Really good to this point in time. Um, having a pipeline at a high school or in an area is a good thing, especially when all three of them are like high level recruits, which is the case with Warner, Kamara, and uh, Gibson here. And yeah, the, the defensive line talk where, where he's the first defensive lineman in the class of 2024 for KU. He's the first edge player. Um, and now that they have 14 commits in total, they're not going to be bringing on many more people. They might only bring on one or two more people. Yep. So now the focus becomes retain. Probably more D-line and retain. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Retain and maybe more D-line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because KU fans, you know, we're not that far removed from – Having guys, big, pretty big names, commit to KU, and then what happens? Yeah. They decommit because KU stinks. Well, not anymore, we hope, we think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's really, that's really the positive is that you can retain these guys going into the fall season, get them on campus for some games. You know, David Booth Memorial Stadium is probably going to be sold out for some games. Get them out, see, get them to see the fans, see what's really happening with Kansas, what's building. Because the – when you've got something in a situation like this where it's obvious that these are commitments that are of guys that are already bought in on the message from Lance Leipold, the message from the KU football staff. And now for from KU's football standpoint, now they need to deliver in terms of on the field stuff, right? You've obviously got them bought in with off the field with, you know, this is what we're building, this is what we're doing, this is our plan, this is where we see you fitting in and all and you know, XYZ, all that stuff. Now you get to the fall season, prove it on the field. Prove it with your product on the field. Prove it with your, your commitment to the fans, with the fans' commitment, everything like that. And then, boom, you can you can continue to build from there. Yeah. Which I firmly expect that will happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, KU is in a position, too, where you're going to be graduating a couple of defensive ends after this year. Patrick Joyner, Hayden Hatcher. Um, I don't know that the expect like. The expectation here won't be to come in and, and play right away. They're going to look to add weight to them and, and get them in the system. I, I think anytime you're looking at linemen, it usually is an uphill battle to play right away at a school like Kansas. It's it's not like, you know, it's one thing if you're a five star crew who comes in at six foot five, three hundred and ten pounds, ready made to play right away. You're you're going to look to add to them. Um, so yeah. you you don't necessarily expect him to be like a starter right off the bat as a freshman, no. but. Could there be playing time right away when you lose some defensive linemen and um, you're going to be in a position where, you know, if you're that talented, you get on the field at a position you're you're looking to add more impact players? Of course. Uh, at the very least, you are looking at this guy as being like a, a long-term real player in your system. And, you know, some of the other defensive linemen or the, or the edge rushers specifically that you have in your program right now, like Jeremy Robinson, 
okay, like you might have this year and then next year with him, but then what about 2025 when he graduates, right? Like uh, there's some players in there where, um, you know, we'll wait to see what happens via transfer. Obviously, they'll probably add more players via transfer portal in the future, but like it's first of all, it's a position you can never have enough of. They'll rotate yep. guys in, they'll make yep. it work and everything, but you are looking for impact players. And, you know, we've talked about that with guests like John Kirby and stuff about how there is this, this kind of this departure of enough impact level defensive ends and edge rushers. So if you can find one in high school recruiting, it makes your life so much easier. And and we don't yeah. know for sure that it'll happen with any high school kid. But this kid, you feel like you have a good chance for him to be a very productive player. And that's the importance of this long term, that when you look at it um, right now, like the, the cool part of all this for me is you have set yourself up that the current like core that you have for this year's team, your Jalen Daniels, Devin Neals, you know, the current core guys that you think of for right now, they helped you make a bowl game last year. They're going to help you try to have a memorable season this year. And then some of those guys, if not all, could help you have an even more memorable season, memorable season in 2024 when they can all come back, right? That's that core of players. That will be that core of players' legacy and timeline. But then once those players are gone, Right. I mean, you, you think to 2024, Jalen could come back and be a senior. Devin Neal could come back and be a senior. All these receivers could come back and be seen. Right. You go down the list. Once you surpass, once you pass 2024, you don't want this to just be, oh, Lance Leipold figured out KU football for three years and they had like three decent seasons and then they're back to zero. You want to set up that next yeah. core of players. You want to set up that next rotation of players to have more success, to maybe even go higher than this core of players had, to build off what this core of players had. And to do that, a lot of developments involved, a lot of scoutings involved, and, and this staff seems to do that very, very well. Um, there is a level of being able to, you do have to recruit those next tier of players, whether they're diamonds in the rough or guys that are seen as being those highly rated recruits. And to what they're doing right now, man, uh, this uh, the way they're building, it sets up perfectly because it wasn't just this class. As much as we're talking about this class of 2024, and it is really, really good, it might be one of the best we've seen in, in a couple decades for Kansas. Um they did it in 2023, too. It was only like 14 commits, but a lot of them were really good to where you are setting yourself up for long-term success with last year and this year's class beyond once this core is done. I'm glad you brought up the for the long-term future thing because conceptually, I think maybe, I mean, I've, I felt this way. For KU fans, it's like that's not even something you have maybe even considered because what's been the last 12 years for KU football? It's been... Let's just not suck for one year. Let's just try to be not terrible for one year. Mm -hmm. So the idea of like actually trying to develop a blueprint of like looking into the future and thinking, wow, what are, what are the chances maybe we end up being like kind of good for a while, right? Like that's not even – I feel like that was not – that's never even been on my radar or maybe on the radar for a lot of fans because the idea was always just please don't be bad for like the next – like you're always thinking in the present. You're always thinking this year just try to win, not be bad. Mm-hmm. And now, all of a sudden, with a guy like Lance Flypold, you have that ability to now say, wait a second, you've got a pretty good core right now, but what about beyond that? What about looking even further into the future? Deshaun Warner's the guy that could be a part of that, right? I mean, a lot of the guys in this 24-24 class could be guys that are a part of that. And that, that to me, is when you finally have when you finally have rid yourself of the syndrome of being like, just only looking at this next season and saying, just please don't suck this season. Now you've graduated to actually being a, uh, on a a level of competency to where you can feel pretty good about 
this season and start thinking, okay, this is what we're going to do this season. These are our goals for this season. But also, we're going to go on the recruiting trail, and this is what we this is where we think we can go in the future, in the long term future. I don't think I I know speaking from me, personal experience for me. Over the last half dozen years, I have never once thought about the long term future of KU football because I've always been so concerned about just not being terrible in the year that I'm was mm-hmm. that I that I was in, right? And I think that's probably fair to say a lot of fans probably felt the same way. Like it just wasn't even something that you even considered because you've been so bad for so long, you were just trying to not be bad for one year. Yeah. No, it's it's hard to look ahead to the future when you're just bad every year. Right. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. It'd be like if you're if you're living like paycheck to paycheck. Like imagine that. Like you're thinking about how am I going to make enough money to afford this bill or or pay my rent this month. Uh, it's like that with KU football. Like obviously you're not going to be thinking if if you're going paycheck to paycheck. Well, what am I going to have for dinner in a month? You know, where am I going to go on vacation in a couple? Of, no, you're not thinking of that at all. Like that that was what it was with KU football. And well, now I just we look are. at it from this way. Like what what was the goal of KU football? Every year, the goal was just field a not terrible team in that upcoming season, and that's why you saw some of the moves that someone like David Beatty did with like the JUCO stuff, with like all the transfers and whatnot, just trying to literally just trying to field a team for that season, mm-hmm. not even worried about the long term future because you're just trying to be good for one season. Well, once you've established that, once you finally you know laid the foundation of that and and have kind of broken through, so to speak, with what Lance Leipold's been able to do, now you can start to think more macro, more bigger picture. And that's one of the exact reasons why Lance Leipold was brought to Kansas because he was he had shown, he had proven himself to be a program-building coach, which is exactly what KU needed because literally basically building from the ground up since he got here. And that's one of the reasons why he was brought here, and I think that's where his uh, brilliance shines through here is that he clearly has a blueprint and – and wants to execute it, and he's gotten some great talent to start that with, with guys that you listed earlier, like Jalen Daniels, Devin Neal, uh, even some guys like you know the Kobe Bryant. Which not all the guys, not all those guys were recruited by Lance Leipold, but the idea is that he's taken that, nurtured it, started it, but he understands this is this is not just going to be a blip on the radar. This is not just going to be a flash in the pan. This is this is going to be the start of su- sustained success. And that's something that I don't think KU fans have been able to think about really that much in the last you know decade plus, because it's always been just looking at the season ahead and just trying to be a competitive team. Now all of a sudden you can say, well, look at the team we got coming into this season; they're going to be competitive. And because of that, we can start to look forward even further and say, this is this is not going to be a one, two, three year thing. This is going to be sustained, continued success. Yeah, one hundred percent. And as as I'm looking at uh, you know what they're doing. I, I talked about the guys who are .8600 or higher, so to speak, on on the recruiting rankings. Which, you so know, why do they do that? Why do they make uh, it out of one? I I think it's just a percentage. Like it's okay. If they, I mean, I'm not uh, a recruiting expert. I don't know. I'm just curious. No, yeah, it's it's just like. It's the percentage because that's what the composite is, right? It's it's putting together the scores of the. So it's like eighty six. All the different, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I don't, I don't. To your question, why do they not list it as percentage as opposed to decimal? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just this or that, whatever. Um, doesn't matter. I like I like asking people about why arbitrary ratings are the way they are because nobody ever has a good answer because huh? they're just arbitrary. It doesn't seem to. There's no correlation to anything. No, that's fair. I mean, uh, to be clear, I don't. You know, it's not like I work for <laughs> them, so I I don't have your your correct answer there. That's um, fine. But point being, like, 
an 86 on the on your like average recruit basically or better. If you were to average an 86 or better, like that puts you in line with like, I don't know, around the middle pack of, of the big 12 in a given year. Um, last year, for instance, Kansas is uh, like overall team average for their, their composite grade was 86.17. So basically 0.8617. Um, so if, if you're getting above that number, like it, it's a good thing, obviously. Um, 10 of KU's 14 commits right now are graded a 0.8600 or higher. So it's safe to assume that their average will be higher than that. Correct. Um, that means about 71%. I mean, I'm not the greatest at math in the world, but I, I, yes. I can, I figured that you one can figure out. that one out. Yeah. So that means 71% basically of their commits so far for 2024 have that grade of basically an 86 or higher in theory. Okay. And the distance between that and like your other seasons pre Lance Leipold is very stark. Out of out of comparison, uh, th- this commit with Deshaun Warner actually brings them to the same number of commits they had last year in the class of twenty twenty three, which was fourteen. Last year in in twenty fourteen, nine of their fourteen commits were point eight six zero zero or higher, right? And that that would be sixty four percent, which again is a high number for KU. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yes, it is. Out of comparison, so I mentioned 71% of their commits this year, 86 or higher, 64%, 86 or higher from the year before. The next highest on the list, which goes back to 2010 for the 24-7 composite, do you want to take a guess at the percentage? Like 40. It's 33%. (laughs) So it's it's a recruiting class right now that it's not going to go down in – in like KU lore is the greatest recruiting class ever in terms of because they're only going to bring on like 15 guys. Some of these other classes you're bringing on 25, 30, 35 guys, right? Like th- those yeah. might have more three star and four star recruits. But just in terms of the quality of player you are bringing on, this now basically makes it over the last two seasons. I mean, think about this over the last two years, class 2024 and 2023, you'll have brought in 19 commits as long as everybody stays committed and stuff with a grade of 0.8600 or higher. From 2022 through 2018, they had 17 combined over like five years of recruiting. That's incredible, the quality of recruit they're bringing in. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, and I don't think it can be understated the – or I, I don't – I should – I messed that up. I don't think it can be overstated mm-hmm. the uh, success that Lance Leipold and his staff had on the recruiting trail this summer. And I also don't, I also don't think it can be overstated how – rare this is like you like with it like the numbers i think show that with ku like this is not something that has really ever happened for ku to have this level of recruiting success this early and so again that's where i think now it pivots more to retaining these levels of players mm-hmm. yep so we'll see what they can do from here but uh it's a it's a great start to the recruiting class to say the least all right, uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We uh, are going to talk some more KU football recruiting. We also are going to uh, talk to Phil Steele in the 4 o'clock hour. David Lesky of Inside the Crown going to talk Royals with us in about 15 minutes. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now 
by David Lesky. You can check out all his work. Subscribe to his Substack at Inside the Crown. David, thanks for coming on uh, once again. Why are the Royals good against good teams, or I guess decent against good teams and good against the NL West, but so bad against everyone else? Please explain this to me. Um, well, I think what you're what you're missing is they're actually just good now. You you, you okay. there, there was a point. Uh, it was um, the eighth inning on Thursday when they tied the score against Cleveland, and that was when the the flip switched, and they're actually. I can tell you what's going to happen if you want, or you can. I mean, I can avoid spoilers, but they're going to make the playoffs. <laughs> oh, playoffs! Yeah, sorry. Well, I, I, oh, God, I didn't give enough time. I'm sorry. Wait, the playoffs <laughs> in what sport? <laughs> Pickleball. Oh, ah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I will um, say it was very funny for me when I looked at the MLB standings yesterday, and it was like Royals 16 back of the AL Central, and the with their record, which is still like objectively horrendous. Um, and then the Red Sox are a game over 500, and they're like 13 back of the division I know, league. I know. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I wrote this a couple. Like I can't remember what it was last week, two weeks ago. Like I think they're actually kind of lucky to be this horrible. Um, and I know that's a really <laughs> weird thing to say, but but like it. Picture, imagine. So what are the Twins? Or yeah, the Twins are leading the division. What are they? 42 and 43. Is that right? Um, yeah, they're 42 and 43. Let's say the Royals were like a really bad, I don't know, um, 36 and 49. That's a bad record, right? You, you would call that bad, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. It's not good. It'd be six games out. <laughs> and and it, it, let's say the Royals are six games out on July 3rd. Do they trade? They probably still trade Chapman because, you know, the free agent thing. But do they hang on to Scott Barlow? Do they hang on to Edward Oliveira? I don't know if they're going to trade him or not. But, like, like but these players who are role players on teams that are trying to make a push or bolt to their team, some of them are Sixteen out. <laughs> so, like, it, it's almost a fortunate thing that they are so bad that they can't even compete in this division because they're not going to do something stupid, like hang on to a player they shouldn't hang on to. I, I that that's the solace that I'm taking right now. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, we had a dumb hypothetical last week, and I actually want to ask this to you. So, I'm I'm trying to think right now. So, um, uh, what would how many games are left? Uh, this is going to require too much math. I, I did the math earlier. Okay, thank you. 78. Okay, that's perfect. Um, so our hypothetical from earlier was, let's say I guaranteed you right now the Royals were going to go 500 the rest of the way, which at that point would mean 39 and 39. Um, which of the three ways do you think would be most entertaining? Would it be them literally win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, like till eternity, essentially, for the rest of the season? Would it be winning their next 39 and then losing the next 39? Or would it be losing the next 39 and then finishing the season on a 39-game winning streak? Oh, boy. That's a really good – so it's not the win-loss, win-loss, because that is not entertaining. <laughs> it's, it's not, like, not horrible. Like, you don't you, – you're right. not watching that and going, this is terrible. <laughs> so I guess when, – what's the last day of the season? It, here, the question – my answer depends on when the Chiefs start. Um, okay. <laughs> because if 
So, okay, the last day of the season is October 1st. They play, they have five off days out of 31. That's 26 games. So it would it would start, their 39-game their losing streak would start in mid-August. Um, I think I would probably take the 39 wins now and then 39 losses um, just because uh, that, that'll that'll get us. Well, okay, now hang on. Now I'm, I'm changing my mind because <laughs> that puts them over 500, and then you start to get hope, and they lose all the last 39. <laughs> um, I'm still going to go with that because you at least have the Chiefs to to take up your time for most of that last 39 game losing streak. <laughs> but that's a great question. That's kind of how Nick answered it because he was like, yes. "You just make it entertaining." I, I think about it. Right? Think about yeah. how much we'd have to talk about from now until you know middle of August. Perfect time. Right. There's nothing going on. Just talk about the Royals being great. And then when they start losing, you can just flip over to the Chiefs. And the irony of this, all, I don't even know if it's ironic, is that them winning 39 straight games at this point like doesn't even put them to a point where it's like, oh, this is like a great team. At that point, they'd be 64 and 59. Like They, they wouldn't even <laughs> be that much. They would have been first place by like five and a half games. That's true. <laughs> that is true. I picked the other one because I just thought it would be funny going into an offseason where it's like, and you have a at that point like a sixty win baseball team that everybody is talking about to make noise the next year because of how they finished. Yeah. You know, um, now last week obviously uh, the big news of the week besides the actual result beating the Dodgers and everything, uh, Aroldis Chapman got traded to the Texas Rangers, and I know you weren't overly keen on the return initially. You've kind of thought about it, as you mentioned in your weekend review, and you like it a little bit more, but still doesn't sound like you're fully sold on it. What do you think about the return overall that they got back? Yeah, so my, my initial thought, the trade happened as I was driving to the ballpark, um, just to go just watch the game as a fan, not sit in the press box or anything like that. And um, so it didn't, I didn't like get to sit down with my computer or anything <laughs> when, I, when I got there. But I was scrolling through, and, and I, I hated it at first. Um, because in my mind, Cole Reagans was a 92-mile-per-hour throwing lefty who had two Tommy Johns and was kind of middling last year. And then, uh, honestly, wasn't his, his numbers as a reliever were not great. He had a couple blow-ups. Um, not that dissimilar to Carlos Hernandez, honestly. You know, if we're going to say Carlos Hernandez is fine except for a couple games, then we could say the same about him. But what I didn't realize, and it's because I didn't really pay that much attention to Cole Reagans, is he increased his velocity significantly this offseason. And um, he was averaging 92.1 on his fastball last year, 96.1 this year. And I thought, um, some of that's got to be relief work because he's let him eat for an inning, whatever. Um, you do a little more research, you find there's a story in The Athletic that's really good, um, which we won't get those stories anymore. Thanks, New York Times. <laughs> um, but it was um, it was really interesting to, to, to read about how he did a lot of agility training. He added some good weight. like A lot of things that players really claim they're going to do and then very few actually do he did it and he comes to camp and then there was a i don't know if it was this story that i read or just one or bruce bruce bochy talking about somebody else and then stopped the interview and was like wait he threw 97 <laughs> and, and and so he's throwing hard all that but again i didn't know if it was just because of the bullpen bump and they sent the rangers had sent him down a few weeks ago a couple weeks ago to get stretched out as a starter and keep in mind he's a starting pitcher the Rangers went out and signed a bunch of guys, which in some ways is a, a, an indictment on him because they said, hey, you can't, you're, we don't think you're good enough to start for uh, this team next year. In other ways, I mean, they signed Jacob deGrom and Nathan Eovaldi and Andrew Heaney coming off a really good year. And, you know, they, they, they signed guys who are good. <laughs> and, 
And so it pushed him to the bullpen. Anyway, they, they sent him down to the minors. His start on, I think it was June 25th, he threw 66 pitches. And from what I understand, he was in, in the mid-90s still on pitch 65. The 66 pitch was a breaking ball. So whatever. Um, but he's still he's holding the velocity. Um, that made me change my tune a little bit because you've got a pitcher who has become different. He's, he's a different guy. He's, you know, he's, he's better than he was. So that, that turned me around a little bit. I, did, I was able to talk to somebody with the Rangers, um, kind of talked about their thoughts on, on, um, on Reagan and how they, they thought he was a, um, you know, a, a different pitcher than he was the year before and, and all that. And so I, I came around, um, not fully. I, I think that there's, there's plenty to not like about this trade. Um, I think that they're, you know, I, personally, I would have been a lot more um, excited about them going after a prospect. When Nintendo World talked about prospects, the Rangers said no, all that. You know, we don't, we don't know the negotiation. We don't know what was involved in that part of it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they got, I think they got back a part of a starting rotation, which is a good thing. I don't know if they got back a three-starter or a five-starter. I don't think they got back a one or a two. Um, although, I guess we don't, we also don't know what, the Royals pitching development can do now with pitchers. Um, the guy they traded this, this group quote unquote fixed. So that's a good thing. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm more lukewarm on it than dislike. I really disliked it at first, but I, I, I'm okay. And, and also Ronnie Cabrera, the 17 year old, they got who's in the Dominican summer league right now. Um, he's a really interesting prospect. He, you know, there aren't very many guys who you think can blow up. A lot of people I've talked to think, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not, wouldn't predict it because these guys don't, it doesn't happen that often, but he's one of those guys who could blow up and be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think we see Reagan start a major league game this season? Oh, yeah, I would assume so. I think that, um, you know, probably. I'd say he pitched yesterday in Omaha. Um, it was really good in the first four innings. Kind of hit a wall, which is understandable. He hadn't been starting all year. So um, keep an eye on it, of course. But I get it. I would not be surprised if, if he's up after the deadline um, or before if they make some moves. I think that, um, I don't, you know, Austin Cox is pitching tonight. I don't, I don't know if they see him as a long-term starter or if they see him as a bulk guy or if they see him as, you know, a more traditional long reliever or what? Um, I don't know if they're going to you know, maybe, maybe they limit Alec Marsh's innings. I haven't looked to see his career high or anything, so maybe he's maybe he's getting close. I mean, he's had some injury issues, so it could be that they want to shut him down at some point. Um, so, you know, all these, these guys, they're, 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 they're opportunities to start, <laughs> and um, I, I think he'll be up probably. At, they're they're going to try to trade Jordan Lyles. I, I you know. I don't know if they will, but they're going to try to trade him. And and if they can, there's a spot right there for sure. Who do you like more long-term Reagan's or Alec Marsh after we got to see his debut last week? Um, It's hard to say. I mean, I I lean toward Alec Marsh, but also I wonder a little bit if it's that I just know Alec Marsh because I've I've been following him longer. And and also there's, there's definitely a level, whether anybody wants to admit it, I want Alec Marsh to be good because I've been I've devoted time to thinking about him. <laughs> Cole, Cole Reagan, I've devoted I don't know forty five minutes of my life since Friday to thinking about <laughs> him, and so 
I, I want to say that I actually believe that it's Marsh because I, I do. I think his pitch mix makes more sense. I think that we'll see his velocity is, is more long-term. I don't know if Reagan's can keep that up. I think that there's, I think there's just a little more potential with Alec Marsh, but they're not, I, I actually don't know is, if, is Marsh older than Reagan? He might be. Um, obviously that's big league experience, but also the other thing with Reagan, he had two Tommy Johns and they were back to back, which doesn't, I, I don't know that we have enough data to know if that means anything long, long term. Um, but it probably can't be good. <laughs> so that's a tough surgery to go through back to back. Um, so yeah, I think Marsh more upside. Um, I think Reagan, because he's done it, is more likely to be a. I mean, he he's got the higher floor. I think. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, for what it's worth, I just looked. Reagan's is five months older, so about the same age. Okay, so he's still older. Yeah, it's, yeah, we're good. <laughs> how, how likely do you think a Scott Barlow trade is now that uh, Chapman's gone? Um, I don't want to say a hundred percent because that's nothing's a hundred percent, ninety five percent. I I don't necessarily I don't think the Royals will allow Scott Barlow to lose the value of being in two pennant races for somebody, and you can justify not trading him last year because the value theoretically doesn't drop that much. The value when you take away, you trade him now, he can impact two pennant races. Even in the offseason, he only impacts one pennant race for a team. And I think that when you have a guy who isn't dominant, and he's not, he's very good, and the results are there. Um, the, the strikeout numbers look dominant, but you look at the pitch mix and you go, okay, I can see how this guy could get hit. You know, he's not a guy that a team trades for and says, we've found our answer, we're done. And so I think that you need the control over him to get the best value. And I think they understand that. So I, I think that 95% he's gone. 5% is, I mean, some of that is he gets hurt. Some of that is he implodes. Some of that is they, the offers are so bad that they just don't care. Um, but I, I think he goes. So who do you see as the, let's say that does happen, he's gone, who do you think the closer and, and main setup man w- would be in that situation? <sighs> I think Carlos Hernandez is somewhere in that back end. Um, is he the closer? Do they even have a closer? It might very well be, hey, we're going we're gonna to play the matchups. Um, there are interesting arms in Omaha and Northwest Arkansas that I, I think are going to get a chance. I think Amir Garrett probably gets dealt too. Um, I, I wonder a little bit if we see, I mean, maybe Alec Marsh goes to the bullpen, you know, or maybe Cole Reagan goes back to the bullpen. Maybe that's, maybe that's the answer there too. I don't know. Um, but there's Will Klein and AAA Dylan Coleman. We've completely forgotten about him. Um, he has not been good in Omaha. He's striking guys out, but he's still watching guys. The thing with Dylan Coleman is it may or may not click again, but when it does, it could click at any time. We saw how good he could be last season once it clicked for him. So he could be back up. John McMillan's in Northwest Arkansas. He has probably the best fastball slider combo in the organization. I might be missing somebody, but he could be a big league reliever right now. Um, Christian Chamberlain, the lefty who's sort of 95. I, I think he's probably more sixth, seventh inning guy, but I mean, they might give him a shot. Anthony Veneziano, I, I could see him working out of the bullpen also. Um, Jonathan Bolin. I mean, they, they've got some really interesting pieces. I think Carlos Hernandez is there. 
And you probably see, I don't know, Jose Quas, maybe Jackson Kohar comes back, maybe you see James MacArthur come back. I mean, they have options. They're going to they're gonna rotate some guys in and out. I, the only constant will probably be Hernandez, but they've, they've got some, some people to look at this, the rest of the season. This is the first time we've talked to you since John Sherman addressed the media last week. Oh, yeah. W- was there anything that stuck out? I, I, I don't remember being really surprised by anything. I, I guess the certainty of the comment about basically leaving the K was was maybe the most notable for a lot of people. I don't know. Did anything stand out specifically to you with, with what John Sherman said? You know, the, the thing that got me the most was how honest he was about about, about the organization um, and, and the, the play on the field. I think that when he said, I don't remember the exact wording, but when he talked about, you know, we came into the season, we thought we had a core, and maybe there are some guys who aren't part of that. Or, or I can't remember the exact wording, but whatever that was, I was really surprised to hear that because that's not how the Royals talk. <laughs> it, it's always like, yes, he's, he's the guy. You've got to give him a thousand more plate appearances before you know. Um, you, you have to wait till he's three years into a contract with another team to know what he is. And I, I think that that was really interesting to me. Um, he made a comment, too, about, yeah, we, we're evaluating what we have, and then we've got to spend to fill in the gaps. It's not surprising, though. I, I mean, I, I think that it's pretty clear if they're going to put a measure on the ballot in April, they are not going to go into the 2024 season with this team. You, 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 even if you, even if they tie themselves to the Chiefs, they are not going to not spend a little money or trade capital slash money to, to build on this team. And he he said that out loud, which I was really surprised by um, because it kind of backs me in a corner if they don't do it. So that part surprised me that he actually said it. it doesn't surprise me that that's what they're thinking. Um, but yeah, otherwise it was pretty much what you'd expect from an owner who wants a new stadium and is and owns a team on pace for one of the, well, at the time, like four worst seasons in baseball history. We're talking to David Lesky of Inside the Crown. Before we let you go, who is the player of the week? All right, well, there, there's, for a team that actually won some games, and that's three and three this week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not a ton of options. Drew Waters had a good week. Michael Garcia had a good week. For Brady Singer, 13 innings, 0.69 ERA. Um, he's got to be it. He's, He's kind of started to figure some things out. So I you give me credit for that. Okay. Brady Singer, is he back? The people are wondering. David, as of right now, Not, says but yes. He had a but, good week. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Just a good week. Just a good week. Possibly blip on the radar, but who knows? All right. Well, David, I appreciate the time as always, man. Have a good rest of your day. Have a good fourth of July tomorrow, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, you too. Thanks, guys. All right, that's David Lesky of Inside the Crown. Subscribe to his Substack and uh, catch all his work there. Give him a follow on Twitter at DBLesky. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. Case of the Monday is coming up next. Phil Steele after that. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. Oh, this is a calm down. Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. 
Welcome in the case of the Mondays here on RCST. I don't know if it is possible to have a case of the Mondays today. You just had a weekend and then you get tomorrow um, off. Um, no, I think if you're working like us, case of the Mondays, because you see other people not working today. Oh, I see. So then some it's people like, just get it off, or or they you know take the time off, which we didn't do. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> So I think if you're working, you still have case to Monday. Well, thanks for ruining it. I have ruining all it. day have been like, ah, what? not a big deal. I go in one day, I get tomorrow off, oh, and it's a short no, week. No, no, but no, no, no. now you've rearranged no. My, no. my point of view. Don't blame this on me. And now I didn't I'm do anything. Now I'm sad. No, I didn't change. I didn't do anything. Mm. I'm just going to curl up in the corner in a blanket. Okay. Well, you know what that is? Warm That's coffee. Soft. Seems like right. you're soft. Here is who is having a case of the Mondays on today's edition of the show. We'll talk about this more in stupid scale as well, but uh, Twitter living, because Twitter had their rate limit. Yeah, it's just, it's, thing. it's they're all over the place. Yeah, you can only view like a certain number of tweets. This is what adds to it, though. Uh, so this is actually David Lesku we just had on the show. I saw this on, on his Twitter account. Um, and it was a screenshot of a story um, from some something with USA Today. Here's what the story says. It was unclear how the site was calculating what counted as a red tweet. USA Today reached out to Twitter for clarification and received an automated message of a poop emoji as is standard for the company. So, <laughs> so Twitter is First only... Of all, why is poop emoji their phrasing is there? What would be the alternative? I, I don't know. I don't know. That just seems... I don't know. Okay. Well, that's also... Yeah, I, I don't... Um. Yeah. So there's a lot wrong. Uh, obviously, the pro- Twitter. The, the problem with this is like, Elon Musk is like the guy that takes trolling so far to where it's like you can't just you think like you just think he's stupid. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are people out there who, you know, you get on the internet, whatever. You might do a little trolling of ha ha ha, whatever. You know, stupid stuff. But if you keep doing it and you take it way too far. Then you eventually you cross the line of you're just stupid. Yes. You're just an idiot. Yeah. You are a troll. You're not just trolling, yes. right, at that point? Yes. Um, so, I mean, everything from since he's taken over to people getting fired and leaving the job and some of the conditions that he's making workers have and making Twitter verified gone and making people pay for it. And now you can only view a, a certain amount of tweets per day. Um, on top of that, they have an automated response where it's just a poop emoji being said. This is not a real business anymore. <laughs> this is not a serious business. I, uh, I, I don't I don't understand. What's the over-under on Twitter living? Mm, like how long it's going to survive? Like how long, I guess it's in the, the main I don't know, lexicon, like I guess. The big thought process behind... Like MySpace is still alive, but it's like <laughs> nobody uses it. The big thought it, process know? behind Twitter when Elon Musk got it was like, it's unkillable. It's too big. Like, no matter what Elon Musk does, he can't screw it up. Well, that is being seriously, seriously <laughs> tested, that yes. theory. So, I don't know. I mean, I think I think it might be fine, but I guess we'll see. I mean, I've always maintained that it felt like, okay, everybody thought Facebook was going to be the only thing. And then Twitter became a, a thing for a certain subsect of people. And now for a certain subsect, it's, it's TikTok. There's always going to be that next thing. Yeah, neither thing. you or I are on TikTok. No, no. But like, I, I feel like it was always inevitable that there was going to be a next thing anyway. But now that it's just like shooting see, itself okay, in the foot. Here's my issue with that thought process. Mm-hmm. For me, I I find it difficult just to manage already having like three social media apps. Okay. Because I, like, I use like Twitter. I use like Twitter. I use Instagram quite a bit. I have Snapchat. I don't really use it that much. But then I have like, you know, LinkedIn. I check Facebook like once a week. The point is, is like, 
I already feel like I've got too many social media apps to manage. Nice. So if another one comes along and is like, oh, we got to oh, everything go over here, everyone, you know, whatever, I'm just going to be like, no. Well, you just delete Twitter. At that I'm point. Not, I, don't, I, I would have to. I'd have to do something. I don't know. In one out. I don't know. Okay, uh, Team USA Basketball is having a case of money. I feel like we've put them on here a lot over the past couple of months. We have, yeah. They definitely deserve it this time. <laughs> the U19 USA Basketball team lost to France in the semis. What? And then wait, they lost. France have wait. They don't have no. Victor Wembanyama didn't play. He opted out. Yeah, or whatever. Um, I don't know. Is opt out the right phrase, or did he just not play? I don't know. <laughs> Either way, they lost. And then not only that, they lost to Turkey in the third place game, which is like one thing if you lose to France, where it's like we know they have a lot of good players. Turkey man, name one Turkish basketball player. I can't. Neither can I. Wait, is Ines Cantor Turkish? Uh, Ines Freedom. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, Ines Freedom. Uh, I don't. He might be Turkish, maybe. Are you looking it up? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What's again? What, what? Have you deter- Have you come to a term? I have not, because it says he was born in uh, Zurich, Switzerland. Ah, but Swiss. I guess technically, <laughs> dude. I don't know. That's bad, dude. These are supposed to be actually, our next wave debate. of players. I had this debate with, with a friend a while back. Okay, Ness Freedom, Alperin Shengun, Ursan Ilyasova, Furkan Korkmaz, Hito Turkoglu, Mehmet Okur, oh, okay, Shetty Osman, like Omer Ashik, Omer Yurtsevin. These are just Turkish bat. They're not on the oh. 16 team. Or the under 19, I mean. Hey, Shane Larkin's playing in Turkey. Remember him? He's not Turkish, obviously. But anyway. Hmm. Interesting. Sorry, what were you saying? I already forgot. Okay. Well, USA Basketball, you stink. Stink. Uh, case of the Monday is for cordial breakups. So um, it felt like this whole Damian Lillard-Portland Trailblazers saga, which I'm surprised this hasn't like made you mad with how much was like over the last like, week oh, or I'm two. Oh, I'm mad about it. Okay. Uh, basically, there were reports like every day about like, not a trade yet, not asking for a trade yet, not asking for a trade yet. Uh, eventually, Damian Lillard did request the trade and wants to go to Miami. And it felt like the whole time this was basically just like a game of chicken, where it was like both sides, I think, were basically acknowledging it would be best to well, trade you. But one didn't want to be the bad guy because the Trailblazers were like, let's start our next wave with Shaden Sharp and Scoot Henderson. And uh, Damian Lillard's like, I want to win a title somewhere. But if Damian Lillard asks for the trade, do Portland people get mad at him? If the front office trades him when he doesn't ask for a trade, well, does a, everybody hate the Trailblazers, right? It's, it's a lose-lose for Damian Lillard specifically. Yeah. Because he's the king of, well, I'm just married to the grind. I love the grind. Grind, grind, grind. I love losing. Lose, lose, lose. That's my favorite thing to do is lose. And now, well, actually, I want to go win a title. Really? You want to win a title? Wow. I'm shocked. I'm shocked you want to go win a title. What's terrible about this is, if you're going to commit to this for as long as Damian Lillard has committed it to it, for how long he's been committed to the, like, whatever whatever the hell you want to call it, grinding, losing. You just got to stick with it. You got to keep, you got to keep staying committed. It would have, this would have made a lot more sense if, like, three years ago, he was like, okay, I'm t- it's time to get training. You know what I mean? Like, the fact that he's been so dedicated to this, this grind thing, now he wants to get traded after this long, really? Really? This long? Seriously? I, what makes it tough is, is specifically asking for Miami. Like, if he was like, just trade me anywhere. Like, what if they traded him to the Spurs? At that point, you can basically keep doing your thing. 
That'd be um, cool. I would yeah. love to get traded to the Spurs. Which I did see some report that he has admiration for the Spurs, Spurs organization. But that's trade, such like a trade me to the Spurs. Oh, okay. You think you can throw some lobs to, to Victor? Of course. How hard can it be? He's seven five. Now it is interesting. I just throw it anywhere and he dunks it. <laughs> because he said he wants to go to Miami. Portland basically is saying, nah, we're taking the best offer. This isn't like the Bradley Beal situation where Beal had a a no trade clause. Now, Lillard could hypothetically say, well, I'll just sit out or I won't play for that team or I won't, uh, you know, do this or that. Um, But I feel like that's different than with like James Harden and the Bradley Beal situation. Harden, we've actually seen him just like not care and not try on a basketball court when he was asking for a trade with Houston. Again, with Beal, he had the no trade clause. To where I feel like the Trailblazers, they're just going to take best offer. They're not going to, like, they're going to actually have to get a good return. Yeah, Damian Lillard has royally, royally screwed this up, I think, mm. in many ways. I do think it's interesting that the Trailblazers were like, we're going to pay Jeremy Grant all this money with the idea of being a win-now team, and then, like, two days later, they're like, oh, well, we're trading Damian Lillard. Because, um, yeah, why would you pay Jeremy Grant 5-160? Nonetheless, it'll be interesting to see who winds up with Dame. Um... There's actually been some there's been some talk about the Sixers trying to get in on on it. Like if okay. if you uh you know you pair Damian Lillard and Joel Embiid that could be I don't know where Damian Lillard ranks in the pantheon of, of best players in the NBA. He honestly like statistically might have had his best season last year. Um you could argue Damian Lillard is a top 10 player. If not, he's yeah. top 20 for sure, probably top 15. Joel Embiid obviously just won MVP. You pair Embiid and and Damian Lillard, and what's been the big knock? Like when they've had Embiid and James Harden, like Harden doesn't show up in the closeout games. Damian Lillard like shows up in playoff games. He's a clutch guy. Yeah, yeah he's got. The he hasn't always won, but it's been because maybe the talent wasn't as good around him. But like he has stepped up he's in those moments. He's got the moments. clutch scene for sure. I feel like Lillard and Embiid. I mean, obviously it depends on how you fill it out around them. But to me, that's a team that could win the finals. They could win it all. That'd and be interesting. What's interesting, though, is that the 76ers are basically saying, and maybe this is the case of the Mondays again for the 76ers valuing their players. We heard about the Tobias Harris stuff. That like, um, Well, that was his dad. Who also yeah, that's be, true. Who also happens to be his agent. That's, no, but remember there was the, the talk about uh, that they offered to the Cavaliers, like oh, Jared yeah. Allen and Evan Mobley in a first-round yeah, pick yeah, for him. Yeah. And now, supposedly, this was a report from like Brian Windhorse on ESPN earlier today that... Basically, if you bring up Tyrese Maxey in a trade, it's automatically declined. And Brian Windhorst was like kind of joking to an extreme about it. He was like, you want prime Michael or uh, prime Michael Jordan for Tyrese Maxey? No. 25-year-old LeBron for Tyrese Maxey? They ain't doing it. And like all this stuff, like that they're just basically not trading him. Whereas if I'm the 76ers, I'm like, dude. Like just, that's the guy? That's the, that's like, the guy. Tyrese Maxey's a good player. He's a young player. Like why not, but, you know, what are we doing somebody here? who's actually good? Well, Tyrese Maxey is good. He's well, a, he's a very good player. Just, he's like a borderline but, all star. But level like, player. why would but, you die on that hill? Exactly, that's the problem. Like, just trade Tyrese Maxey and get Damian Lillard. But also, I don't understand why the Trailblazers would like have to have Tyrese Maxey because they have the whole idea of trading Dame is oh well now we can just build around two guards, Shaden Sharp and Scoot Henderson, and maybe even Anthony Simons. Let's bring in another guard, you know, unless they're going to make a three way trade. I don't know, but I I would be very interested to see if the Sixers can get him. Obviously, he if they can get him would be a great team, but I don't know what assets they have to give up that would be as similar as what the 76ers could possibly provide. I don't know what other teams would possibly go after him. Maybe like a team like the Knicks or something like that. I feel like they're always thrown out there as a possible team. What if the Celtics like traded Jalen Brown and, and something? Um, that would be very interesting to get him. I don't know. There's a lot of teams that would be very interesting 
Um, but yeah, so uh, non non cordial breakups. It, it had to end this way. Uh, baseballs are having a case of the Mondays. Pete Alonso last night during Sunday Night Baseball announced that he'll be participating in the Home Run Derby once again. He is the back-to-back champion in that event. He takes it super, super seriously. He's very good at it. Um, yeah, baseball is about to get crushed in the Home Run Derby. Yeah, but the Mets stink. They so. do, yeah. Maybe Pete Alonso should try crushing baseballs in actual games. No, that is a funny one. I brought up the Red Sox thing with David Lesky. Uh, Pete Alon- or uh, the Mets are like, I think it's like 38 and 46 now. They are like 19 games back of the Braves. <laughs> the Royals, who are 20 whatever and 50 whatever. And 59. Yeah. Seven. Are 13 back of the division. So there's there's six closer to, to winning the division well, than the, the Mets, Mets, who were like 15 dude, games better than them. At the start of June, the Mets were like five games back. Yeah. And, and now they just And the Braves are winning like every game because yeah. they're incredible. Yeah. So does this make you more likely to watch the Home Run Derby at all? Uh, are you a big Home Run Derby guy? I've watched it in the past. I don't watch it every year. I don't watch all of it. I'll Chance like for a guy to have a three on and maybe watch do it. anything for you. Well, I mean, the greatest home run derby participant ever. That doesn't really do much for me. No, because I don't think anybody's won it three times. This is like this is like the dude on your local basketball court that's like, I've never lost a pickup game ever in my entire life. Like that's what that is. Okay, right? And do you think that's a fair fair? Yeah, sort thing? of. It's an exhibition type event. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So I don't know. I mean, will I watch it? Maybe. I will I catch the highlights? Sure. But I don't know. Might not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like it's not an event that you have to catch the highlights. It's like, okay, I get it. He hit a bunch of home runs. You know? I guess that's fair. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I know what to expect. I know what it looked <laughs> like probably. Um, the Chiefs wishing people happy birthday is having a case of the Mondays. Today is Chris Jones's birthday. But if you're the Chiefs, he hasn't signed his contract yet, mm. do you wish him happy birthday? Yes, 100%. Because but it's a lose lose for the Chiefs. I don't think so. If it's my birthday, then it's like you might have to cave on the, the, the country. <laughs> you think that's what the, the Chris Jones? I don't know, agent, man. The Twitter account wishes him happy birthday, and Dude, his agent comes to the door and he's like, "All right, you better the, sign this now." If did you I see was what you on just the did? Chiefs, if I was on the Chiefs and I was in contract negotiations, and the Chiefs did not wish me happy birthday, I'd be like, "Dude, what? What? Yeah, that's the thing. He is even whether no matter how the contract negotiation goes, he's part of the team for this year." So you have okay. to you have to wish him out. And even to. even if he wasn't, let's say Chris Jones was a free agent this past offseason and he the Chiefs didn't want to re-sign him and he signed with some team for a boatload of money. You think they would still I think you still should give him a happy birthday to be like, this guy helped us just win a Super Bowl. Happy yeah. birthday. Yeah. Maybe. So yes. Wish him a happy birthday. Lose lose situation for the Chiefs. Buying normal things at the grocery store is having a case of the Mondays. A live snake was found in a bag of broccoli. That's really scary. Mm-hmm. I don't like that at all. Now, this was in England. And honestly, actually, I love this because this this is further evidence why you should not buy broccoli. Broccoli stinks. Don't buy it. There's snakes in it. I'm not going to buy it. I never have bought it. And this is even more evidence why I'm not. I'm going to continue to not buy it. Yeah. Now, dude, snakes are the worst. Murder all snakes everywhere. Wow. That's I don't care if a snake hears this. Dude, that's, a, that's aggressive. Yeah. No, not aggressive enough. Snakes and geese. <laughs> Eat it. Are okay. you the type of guy that doesn't stop for geese to cross the road? I don't know that I've ever been in a situation where geese is uh, goose is crossing the road. And really, that's never happened before. I don't think so, dude. In my neighborhood, around my parents' house, geese everywhere all the time. Really, and you constantly have to stop to let them pass. 
But would you stop? I mean, you don't have to. Would you stop? Honestly. So that makes you a terrible uh, person. This is the same as like the grocery cart experiment, where if you no, don't stop to let different. geese drive, get across the road, you're a terrible person. I care about humans. I do not care about geese. <laughs> geese are vile creatures. They wow. hiss at you. Wow. They get, dude, I've, I've been on walks before where like geese have like charged up and started like hissing at you. Horrible. That's, Screw that's geese, because man. they know that you hate geese. Good. They're horrible. They're vile creatures. They just poop on everything. They scream at people. They're mean. Get out of here, man. Wow. If you're a geese supporter, you're fired. You're off the show. I'm not a geese supporter. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm a geese neutral. Okay. I don't, geese Do you think, fine. I don't care. Could you sue me if I fired you for Hating liking geese? geese? For liking geese? Yeah, probably. Maybe. Hmm. I don't know. Good question. Uh, turning left is on Case of the Mondays. <laughs> so the NASCAR street race in Chicago happened uh, yesterday, and it, there was a lot of rain, so it kept getting delayed and whatnot. Well, a man by the name of Shane Van Gisbergen. Mm, from, that guy should not be in NASCAR. From New Zealand. Like a professional chef. From New Zealand made his racing debut on the Chicago Street Race, and he won. And other NASCAR drivers were complaining about the conditions of the race because it was raining and mm. they had to, they couldn't turn, and you know there was a bunch of crashes. There was a bunch of guys going in too hot. So basically, this just perpetuates the. The idea that NASCAR drivers only know how to hit the gas and nothing else, and they also are unable to turn yeah. other directions. Who knew turning left was, was so difficult? All right, he's no, Nick turning Springer. right is difficult. They can turn left. Ah, easily. there we go. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is Case of the Mondays. Phil Steele joins us next to talk KU football, Big 12 football. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and that time of year, the perfect time of year to talk to Phil Steele. You can get his magazine. Uh, you can order it online at at uh, his. Well, we'll, we'll ask him specifically because he has all the bells and whistles. I typically order online, but you can sometimes go in. I know uh, we don't have a Barnes and Nobles here in Lawrence, but uh, obviously some nearby cities do. If you're listening to this in in Kansas City or, or Topeka or something like that, uh, but Phil Steele joins us. We always love having our conversations. Uh, I guess first things first, Phil. Uh, where can people get the magazine, and and how different does it feel this year previewing Kansas? <laughs> so, yeah, first of all, the different pre- preview in Kansas. I, I told Coach uh, Leipold that uh, when I talked to him for my uh, interview this year, that uh, I said he's making things more difficult for me because for the last ten years, you just pick Kansas last in the Big Twelve and then worry <laughs> about everything else. And uh, he did not apologize for that. He said he uh, he's pretty happy with that. But the magazine itself, three hundred and fifty-two pages, available exclusively this year at Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. If you don't have one locally, you can go online to philsteel.com. When you go to philsteel.com and order the magazine, there is a shipping cost, but we give you the digital magazine for free, and we actually update the digital magazine all the way through September. So any changes, players out for the year, players added to rosters, uh, we update that in the digital magazine. So if you order at philsteel.com, you get the hard copy and the digital copy, or you can go to a Barnes & Noble and Books A Million, and they have a ton of them in stock right now. Okay, so when you go back to last year and try to figure out how exactly KU did exceed all those expectations, I mean, the over-under win total in Vegas was was two and a half, so they didn't just beat it, they blew through it. What is the main reason to you for why they accomplished what they did, and what does that tell you for this year's team? 
Uh, main reason, number one, is Lance Leipold. I've followed him for years, uh, going back even to his uh, days prior to Buffalo, where he was highly successful. What he did at Buffalo, building that team, really surprised me, the way they were actually dominating the Mac in his final years uh, there. And I think the secondary thing would be Jalen Daniels. Jalen Daniels having a quarterback like that, uh, it really helps. But uh, I, I think... Uh, I'm pointing the finger right at the head coach, Lance Leipold, the job he's doing, the expectations he has. I mean, let's face it, if someone came in last year and said, uh, let's, I'm going to get you to four wins, people would have been happy. But getting them to six wins and the start they had, ranked in the middle of the year at number 19, and almost knocking off TCU, uh, I think the head coach is uh, greatly responsible for that. One of the things that I really like about your magazine, it, it doesn't just talk about who's coming back and, and returning production, which it does, but it also talks about some of the, I don't know, what I would call like luck stats or a reversion to mean stats of teams who are way too low, way too high on turnovers or way too low, way too high on one score games. And, you know, obviously there are exceptions to the role like Iowa does well in like one score games every year. So I don't know if it's something that's systematic. I don't know if just having good coaches or quarterbacks or better teams lends yourself to consistently be better at one of those things but when you look at some of the I guess those reversion to the mean type of numbers that your magazine talks about what what do you think is there anything to notice for KU either in the positive or negative or, or is that not really uh, something to worry about yeah in the negative uh, would be the stock market indicator and the stock market indicator which uh, really is proven true to form throughout the years rates Kansas as a minus 5.0 meaning they took a big jump up and generally teams come back down a little bit the next year. But a couple of things in the positive factor. They're plus 31 in my all-conference points returning, which is among the best in the conference. And they're number one on the experience chart this year. And uh, that generally is a very good thing. In fact, uh, tomorrow, uh, I'm going to be, or Wednesday, I should say, I'm going to be doing a blog on uh, the experience chart and the factors that it has. And teams that are in the top 15 in the experience chart generally improve their record. So they've got a couple of factors competing against itself. Overall, 17 returning starters. And i got to be honest with you, Derek, uh, I have nine sets of power ratings. Play them into the computer, and I don't remember the last time, but uh, all nine sets of my power ratings are calling for Kansas to make a bowl game this year. So right there, that overturns that uh, stock market indicator, I think. Yeah, it does. I, I guess that's one of those things where you know we've been talking about on the show from a national perspective. We, we can't blame anyone for being like, ah, they're going to go back down to four or five wins because at the end of the day, it's still just one six-win season over the past you know 15 years where you can understand that. But uh, you can also understand why locally there is the excitement for the team. And I, I think that becomes interesting when you view it from the standpoint of, like if I were to just tell you, as you mentioned, 17 starters back, you have a, a top-flight quarterback, you have your head coach, both coordinators back, and they're returning all that stuff. If you just put the blindfold on the team name Kansas, don't you think we'd be expecting that team to, to win you know eight or nine games that next season? Absolutely, yes. I think you hit it right on the head there, Derek. And and the talent is is there. And also, I think it's supported a little bit. Uh, I think Coach Leipold's doing a good job, not overemphasizing the transfer portal, but being very selective with the players he's bringing in. I, take a player like on the defensive tackle spot, Devin Phillips. 
uh, transfer from Colorado State. He's a big, wide-body guy. He's mature, and he's going to be a big factor. His 325 pounds that he brings to that defensive tackle spot is going to probably correct the main problem Kansas had in the second half of the year last year, and that was stopping the run. I mean, after the first, uh, early in the season, the first uh, six games, they gave up just 120 yards per game, 3.3 yards per carry. The final seven games, 286 yards per game. 5.7 5.7 yards per carry, and that was really part of the, a big part of the reason Kansas struggled in the second half of the year. I think adding him to the defensive tackle spot is going to help that. Yeah, from from I guess uh, an overall perspective, we've kind of had some conversations about what's going to be most important for the defense. Uh, obviously, losing Lonnie Phelps is going to hurt the pass rush, but do you think if they do just improve against the run, like if they can become even just a nationally average run defense team, like is that enough for the defense to to maybe move up a few tiers or a few rungs in the Big Twelve on its own? Yeah, absolutely, especially when you look at the talent they have coming back at the linebacking core. I mean, you got a guy like Craig Young, uh, Rich Miller, Barry Hill. They all have experience. If that defensive line can occupy blockers, uh, be tougher against the run, that's going to free those guys up to do more havoc. And I think they can do that. And then you look at the secondary as well. I actually rate Kansas as secondary in my top units in the front of the magazine. I don't know the last time I've done that. And, uh, you know, the, the players they have back there, like a Kenny Logan at the safety spot, surprised he came back. That was a really good thing. Uh, Kobe Bryant at the cornerback spot. So overall, if they can get tougher against the run, they've got the back seven to be a very productive defense. On the offensive side of the ball, Jalen Daniels through the first whatever five or six weeks of the season was was seen as a Heisman candidate, and then he gets injured, but comes back, uh, doesn't look the same against Texas, and then boy did he look the same, if not better, in the bowl game against Arkansas, even though Kansas fell out. Uh, what what to you is the potential for how good Jalen Daniels can be among the other quarterbacks, not just in the Big Twelve but nationally? Yeah, and, and he took he got my attention not this past year, but the previous year, those final three games of the year, when Kansas went from being uh, just a, a extremely poor team to knocking off Texas and almost knocking off TCU and West Virginia, sort of made you stand up and say, "Wow!" And as you touched on it. Uh, I think six, seven games into the season, Jalen Daniels is a Heisman contender. And uh, I think the fact that uh, Jason Bean is behind him and now has experience, and I like what Bean did taking over. He topped 200 yards passing in his four starts, had 11-3 ratio. They've got a little depth at that quarterback position, and that's going to allow them to let Jalen Daniels be Jalen Daniels and uh, not not being afraid, hey, we can't afford to, to lose this guy for a couple of series or anything like that because they've got Bean back there. And especially with players like Neal at running back and Graham and Arnold at receiver and a veteran offensive line with four starters back, this should be a pretty explosive offense. Yeah, on the defensive side of the ball, if the answer to this would, would probably be DBs as, as the biggest strength and maybe D-line is the biggest question. On the offensive side of the ball, what to you feels like the strongest position? Uh, I think at the, re- the, the, the weakest position or the strongest? Well, both, actually. Yeah, strongest position would be, I mean, they've got a couple of them. Quarterback's very strong, running back is strong. I'd say quarterback is the strongest position, but I like the running backs and the offensive line. And while I like the receivers, they really don't have that elite guy. It's a steady, it's a deep group, 
but I don't see that one elite wide receiver. So if I'm looking for a weakness on the defense and stuff, or on offense, it's tough to come by because this is a team that put up 35 points per game, 438 yards per game, has 10 starters back. It would be the lacking of an elite wide receiver. I remember midway early in the season looking at some of the ESPN FPI team rankings and efficiencies and KU at one point was you know top 30 top 40 team in some of the special teams rankings and then by the the end of the year kind of the back half of the season similar to the the run defense it it trailed off and they ended up I think at that metric ranking uh, just inside the top 120 which obviously is is not a good spot to be in there a lot of overhaul to some of the the kicking specialists on the special team side of the ball how, how important when you're going through and I guess this is just kind of a general question overall for as you're measuring these different teams how important does special teams play into the projections of what you think these teams are going to do and, and where do you think Kansas is at in that regard uh, it does play a strong factor uh, for me uh, you take a look at a team like South Carolina for example they were eight and five last year I think without the strong special teams, they might have been a 4-8 and eight team last year. I mean, the special teams were the best in the country, and it turned many a game for them. And you touched on it. Last year, I had Kansas number 120 in my uh, special teams ratings. I was really pleased uh, hiring an assistant coach like Sean Snyder. Uh, this is a guy that was the special teams coordinator at Kansas State, USC, and Illinois. Uh, having him being able to come over here I think is a big plus. They To add him to their special teams coordinator they already have, I think that should be an improved unit this year. Uh, you're looking at a true freshman uh, in Damon Graves, who's uh, an Australian. Naturally, everybody's got an Australian punter nowadays. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, Texas State transfer at kicker in Seth Keller, who had 14 to 16 field goals last year. I think the, the special teams uh, will definitely be upgraded this year. When you look at reasons why they could end up with the under on the over-under win total, because it's, it's being placed a lot higher up there than, than we've seen in the past at 6.5, as much as, hey, they do have all these starters back and, and some of these good players back, uh, there is a lot of thought of, man, that number's tough to get to. And, and to me, the biggest reason why is the schedule where, you know, basically every team you play, it feels like outside of Missouri State and maybe Nevada, feel like they could be bowl teams. How difficult is this schedule for Kansas compared to other teams across the conference and the country? Yeah, it, it is a tough schedule, and it is my main reason that uh, you have to wonder about the over-under. Uh, I've got them in the number 36 schedule in the country this year, which is pretty difficult. And uh, you look at the games that they've got at home, UCF is probably the best of the four teams coming in uh, from outside the conference this year, and that's going to be a very tough home game. The Texas Tech game at home, I mean, Texas Tech has got 15 super seniors they're one of the most experienced teams in the country as well. Kansas State at home, we know the history of Kansas, Kansas State. We know that one's mm-hmm. going to be difficult. And then at Cincinnati in the season finals, another one of those toss-up games where Cincinnati is below Kansas, but having it, they came at home. I think they've only lost one home game the last five or six years. So that's going to be a difficult game. So I think that the schedule games are def- the schedule definitely makes that difficult for Kansas this year. If you could, out of that schedule, pick the biggest swing game or, or one or two of those games that you think could determine whether they end up with the over or the under, uh, what would be those biggest swing games on the schedule? I'm going to go with UCF, October the 7th. I think at that point, Kansas is going to be either 3-2 and two or 4-1 and one if they can knock off Illinois. Illinois is going to be a tough team. But that UCF game, to me, is huge. 
Uh, I do think they go into a stretch with at Oklahoma State, Oklahoma at home, and at Iowa State. They'll be an underdog. But then the Texas Tech game, I think, is going to be huge, November the 11th. If they can win that one and the UCF game, I think we're looking over the total. If they were to lose both those two games, then we're probably looking under the total. I know you've mentioned some some key players for KU along this conversation so far. Are there any possible breakout players that, that you're intrigued by in Lawrence? Yeah, I think, like I said, defense tackle-wise, I, I think Devin Phillips is going to be a difference maker on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and then uh, offensively, uh, when I'm looking at him, I think Devin Neal is, uh, I know he is a 1,000-yard rusher from last year, but I think he's ready for a breakout year behind that offensive line. Could it could be one of the better ones in the Big 12 this year. All right, that is Phil Steele of Phil Steele Magazine talking some KU football with us. We're going to take a timeout, break in the action, and talk more to Phil Steele after the timeout. Uh, we're going to switch gears from KU specifically to talking around the conference and the entirety of the Big 12 with Phil Steele coming up on the other side. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Phil Steele here with us on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, klwn.com or the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back in on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, KLWN, KLWN.com, or the KLWN app. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We continue on with our conversation with Phil Steele. We talked a lot of KU football with Phil Steele. Now let's shift gears and talk more around the Big 12. Does this feel like one of the more open years? I know I know the preseason expectations for Texas that they're going to be a really talented, really good team, but obviously I think in the back of everyone's mind is like, are we signing up for this again? OU comes off a six-win year. Kansas State has a ton back and, and should be really good, but also you know, they, they lose maybe their two best players. Like When you look at the conference this year, is this maybe one of the harder years to predict who's going to be in that Big 12 title game? Yeah, and, and take you back through the magazine, Derek. I spent seven months on it. We do it in a first write-through process, a second write-through process, and then the third, which is after I talked to the coaches, uh, and after the second write-through process, I generally do a look at the conferences and, and how I look at them at that point, which is, uh, you know, pre or right after the start of the spring practices. And uh, this year, of the ten conferences out there, I had nine of them pretty well pegged. I'm like, okay, I, these teams are at the top, these teams are at the bottom, these teams are in the middle, these are ones I like. The only one I couldn't figure out was the damn Big Twelve. I mean, you could, it's who it used to be. Put Kansas at the bottom. You can't do that anymore. Uh, and then you know you you look at the teams at the top, Texas and Oklahoma, but they're in their final year of conference play. And you go back to last year. There's a couple of games where Texas didn't get the benefit of the officials. One one game I think it was Oklahoma State where it was a twelve nothing deficit as far as penalties called in the game. So I don't know, and they're also going to get everybody's best shot as well. So I think when you look at the uh, the Big 12, it was the most difficult conference for me to forecast, top to bottom. Tough to t- pick a team at the bottom and tough to pick a team at the top. Texas is my favorite to win it. They've got the talent to do so. But they're also the only one of the top six teams that plays each of the other five this year. So it, it's it's definitely a cause of my concern in the preseason. When you look at Oklahoma – Obviously high expectations there because there still is the name brand of Oklahoma and they, they do have all this talent in the program. Uh, how, how much is Brent Venables who, you know, you think of his defense as being complicated schematics and, and they really struggled last year, but how much of a boost do they get just from the idea of, of having that continuity? 
Yeah, you hit that on the head, uh, Derek. And talking to Coach Venables, uh, like I did this spring, uh, you could tell that it definitely irritated him the way the defense played last year, but he is so much more confident in the defense this season. And he hit the transfer portal pretty hard. Uh, they've got about 12 players coming in on the defensive side of the ball. I project four of those guys are going to come in and start. And as you touched on, it's a complicated defense. We saw that at Oklahoma State a couple years ago. Remember, they had a complicated defense. took them three, four years to really get rolling. But Brent Venables will have this team going probably this year. And then offensively, a couple of their blowout losses last year were when Dylan Gabriel missed the game. Gabriel's back. I feel they're better uh, at the backup position with a guy like Jackson Arnold, the true freshman coming in. They've got talent up front on the offensive line at the skill positions. And when you look at their schedule this year between them and Texas, Oklahoma's got the better schedule. In fact, in Vegas right now, Oklahoma's favored in 11 of their 12 games. The only game they're not favored in is the Texas game, which takes place in Dallas. So they really have the talent and schedule to make that big jump this year, and they are my number two most improved team in the country. When you look at the top five or six teams in the Big 12, which one gave you the most trouble uh, of figuring out where you wanted to rank them, whether you were concerned they were going to be too high or too low? Uh, I'm going to go with TCU. I think there's a lot. And you, you touched on it earlier about the factors. There are so many factors saying TCU takes a step back this year. I mean, they are in the going down box in the tougher schedule category. Uh, they're in the going down box in the, the turnover category, the stock market indicator, uh, the tougher schedule. They play a tougher schedule than they did last year. Uh, there's a lot of factors that are, are pointing down for TCU this season. Uh, stock market indicator, they're minus 6.9. They had four net close wins last year. All these signs are pointing down. But when I talked to Coach Dykes, going over the position for him, or with him, uh, I had expected him to say, well, we're going to be weaker here, weaker here. He's pretty confident that this team could be just as good as last year. And I'll be honest with you, I'll raise my hand. I picked against TCU numerous times last year, and they somehow won these games. And you're like, you know what, I'm done picking against TCU. <laughs> so I think that's probably the one team that I was perplexed the most. A lot of factors indicate that this team should drop back to the middle of the Big 12 like they did. But it's tough to go against Sonny Dykes and the talent that he's putting on the field. Yeah, you're going to need, for the stock market indicator, you're going to need to add in something about injuring the other team's quarterbacks just for that. Yes. <laughs> uh, outside of that, I guess kind of a flip side of that, who do you think, if, if you were, I don't know, trying to figure out what the best dark horse pick of the conference it. would be, who would that be? Yeah, that one I got a clear one. It's Oklahoma State. And uh, and part of that is due to the schedule. They've got an amazing schedule this year, uh, Derek. They actually play six teams that were not in the Power Five last year. Now, how, how how awkward is that for the Big 12 to have one team playing six teams that was not in the Power Five last year? They avoid Texas. They avoid TCU. They avoid Baylor. Uh, they get the tougher teams at home. The only two games or only three games I have a slight underdog in are at Iowa State at UCF and Oklahoma, and each of those a slight underdog. This is a team that last year at one point was 6-1 and one and ranked number 9 in the country and then sort of fell apart in the second half of the year. They like their new quarterback in Allen Bowman. Uh, they've got talent coming back on both sides of the ball. They lose their star players from last year. They were just 7-6, and six, but they are completely under the radar. This is a team that right now in Vegas is 50-1 to one to win the Big 12, but with that schedule and they beat Oklahoma, and avoid Texas and the other teams, TCU and Baylor. This is a team that could very well 
uh, with Mike Gundy at the helm, uh, find themselves back in the Big 12 title game. I like them at 50-1. to What to you is the best position group in the Big 12? So, like, Oklahoma's this or Texas's receiver or whatever it is. What to you is, is the possible most dominant position group for any team across the conference? Um, I think the possibility exists for Texas's offensive line. Uh, this is a line that wasn't remarkable last year, but everybody is back. It's the second year they had uh, four underclassmen playing on the offensive line last year. They're all back. They've added some guys. It's a very deep, very talented O-line that gained experience last year. It's probably going to be the strength of that Texas team. So I'm going to go with the Texas offensive line. When you look at the four new schools that are joining into the Big 12, I was kind of taking a look at what some of the other recent schools that have joined Power Fives over the last decade or so have done. And I think the the, the one that actually did better from their previous season was Rutgers, oddly enough, because they went, uh, what was it, Big East to American and then to the Big Ten, and they actually improved their win total. But like all the other ones, Utah, TCU, Louisville, uh, there were a couple others in there at least had like a two or three win decrease from that first year. And a lot of them actually were worse in year two than they were in year one. When you look at the four new schools that are jumping over to the Big 12, how much do you take into account making that jump up for, I, I guess, I don't know what that would tell you if it's just the, that those schools tend to not have as much depth as these schools in the Power Five and it takes a year or two to catch up, or I don't know, is that something that you're not even considering because nowadays you have the transfer portal to, I guess, help catch up to that depth? Like, uh, Are you considering that at all with, with the new schools and, and having an adjustment period joining the Big 12? Yeah, very much so I'm considering it, and uh, it's the reason I think that BYU – uh, Cincinnati, uh, and Houston all take a step back record-wise this year. Now, it's interesting talking to Coach Sataki at BYU. Uh, he did point out to me that he and two of his assistants were with Utah when they joined the Pac-12, and, you know, they had to step back for a couple of years, and he said he feels they're better prepared to enter the Big 12 than Utah was to enter the Pac-12. But the depth is still a little bit shaky, and they're not, you know, when you look at last year's schedule, uh, they played a grand total of uh, five Power 5 teams. Now they pretty much are playing ten Power 5 teams this year. So it's a big difference uh, in the schedule. You wonder if they're going to get worn down at the end of the year, and the depth is a concern. Now, UCF would be the one team that I think could be the uh, the challenger of those four that could actually step in and challenge in the Big 12. Gus Malzahn said they've had a couple of years to prepare for this move to the Big 12. He feels they're ready for it. He, of course, is coaching the SEC before. They've got talent. They've got better depth at quarterback than they had last year. So of the four, the one I think is the best prepared to enter conference play and possibly even be a contender would be UCF. Who do you, or maybe even a few names that just come to mind here, are the most exciting players, appointment television, in the Big 12? Well, I like Jalen Daniels at Kansas, for starters. Uh, I think he's a pretty exciting player to watch. Uh, I think Quinn Ewers is going to have a big year at Texas. Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma uh, should have a big year uh, this season. I like tight end Jatavian Sanders of Texas. I think he's a guy that you're going to watch him play, and if he gets a ball in his hands, he's going to have some highlight films uh, on the on the offensive side of the ball. So those guys would all uh, jump out to me. He is Phil Steele. Uh, once again, if you could, could you go over one more time everywhere you can get your magazine? 
Yeah, I appreciate that, Derek. Once again, it's available right now at Barnes and Nobles and Books a Million. So if you go, if you have a Barnes and Noble or Books a Million anywhere nearby you, that is the best place to get it. You can go in, get your copy today. Three hundred fifty-two pages. I guarantee you, three to four times as much uh, information as any other preview out there. Now, if you don't have a bookstore close to you, go to philsteel.com. When you go to philsteel.com, you can get the magazine. There is a shipping cost. I mean, it, it does cost money to ship things nowadays. But we give you the digital magazine, which is updated all the way through September, absolutely free. So either way, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, or philsteel.com, and you can order your magazine today. And if you order your magazine today, we generally ship within 24 hours. Yep, well worth every penny. Phil, I appreciate you being gracious with your time today, and uh, good luck on the rest of the rounds throughout the off season. And uh, we're almost there. We're almost there to college football season. Almost. Uh, under 60 days are left. And uh, always good talking to you, Derek. Appreciate the conversation today, my friend. All right, that was Phil Steele of Phil Steele Magazine. Appreciate Phil coming on. I think this is, I don't know, four or five years in a row now, maybe more than that, that Phil's been able to come on with us over the summer, and we always enjoy having him on. Super nice guy. Check out his magazine. Very informative. And uh, he, like you said, not, all nine of his power ratings had Kansas in a bowl game. So that is uh, certainly positive, and they're talking some Big 12. If you missed any of our conversation with Phil Steele, we'll have it on our RCST replay later today. And also you can find it on the Best of RCST podcast, wherever you get any of your podcasts. That'll be uh, after the show. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. We're going to talk some more KU football. We've got a uh, stupid scale segment coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as well. We'll be back after this break in the action on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. As we get closer to heading into the 4th of July weekend here again, we do not have a show tomorrow, uh, but we will be back Wednesday. So make sure to siphon out your best of RCST podcast over over the Wait, next uh, 48 hours. No, we don't. Oh. I mean, you, you can't. Honestly, if you... If you want to come in and do a show tomorrow, I'll allow it. Well, I didn't know that we didn't have one. So okay, like, great. Then you no, can just come in tomorrow I don't want do a show, show solo. I don't Perfect. want to do that. The people want it. The people want it, Nick. Um, but no, we won't have a show tomorrow. So, uh, all right, we're going to go into the I, – I almost want to call it – is this like a mini weekend? I know no. it's not the actual weekend, but it's like a from a weekend. work perspective. No. No? Disagree. Okay. Well, we go into the vacation day? Is that the yes. way to put it? Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Just stay off, yeah. Just let's off. let's tell you what's stupid. Stupid scale. By the way, don't be stupid. Don't like blow your fingers off. During, That's a good uh, point. Yeah, yeah. Remember, Jason Pierre Paul blew his fingers. Yes, uh, on Fourth of July. That's right. So don't do don't that. do that. Yeah, don't do that. Although I will say, if you do do something stupid like blow your fingers off, please tell us so that we can talk well, about it. But the counter to that also is Jason Pierre Paul like won a Super Bowl and that made true, millions yeah. of dollars after he did. Well, I was so thinking you still have if, hope in front. If of you. you blow your fingers off now, science might have developed far enough to where like you can grow them back or something. Like <laughs> they go. can just take some cells or whatever and just like you know, perfect, make them back. Yeah. Uh, when you go to the doctor, just be like, well, I heard this radio host saying you can grow them back yeah, now. Yeah, just be like, yeah, tell them Dr. Nick sent you. <laughs> All right. I'm not a doctor. I just play one. Uh, stupid scale for uh, this week, Twitter with limits. So if you missed over the weekend, um, which if you were on Twitter at all, it would have been basically impossible to miss this. But if you're not on Twitter, then you might not know about this. Uh, basically, Twitter has been, you're, you're able to unlimited, uh, read unlimited amount of posts. Yeah, or you, you have scroll been in the past. on Twitter yeah. forever. Doom scroll Which, forever. Yeah. Right? Um, over the weekend, I think it was Saturday, Elon Musk tweeted yeah. out that due to some gibberish, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, so did you actually see the whole story? Part story of it. is that, like, Twitter is, like, refusing to pay Google. Yeah. Apparently. 
And so Twitter's like, well, this sucks. And so now we're just going to limit stuff. Yeah. So they basically, if you're a verified account, you could see like it was like 800 posts or a thousand, something like that. For unverified accounts, which is most of the Twitter world, because they don't want to pay for it, um, is 600 posts. And that that really goes by because it's not counting the ones through, you're actually reading. Yeah, you can go through 600 posts in like... 15 minutes? 5, 10 minutes. Yeah, easy. because again, it's not it's not only the ones you click on or the only ones you like or the only scroll. ones you're reading. Yeah, exactly. So if I if I scroll up to see a different tweet that's 15 tweets ahead. You just ahead, saw 15 tweets. Exactly, even though I only saw two, yes. right? Yep. So like it, it was just very bad. And then they extended the limit. It's It, it improved up, um, but there still yeah. is a limit on it. I, yeah, it's... I, I, I don't understand. I think it's like 1,000, 1,200 now. Yeah, I don't understand it all, to be honest. No, I don't but either. in a positive way, did it help you realize your addiction to Twitter? Yeah, I mean, I've been conscious of that the whole time, to be completely honest. Because, like, I see, like, for me, I ran out of tweets to ve- to see, like, very early in like, the morning. did you have a more, um, I don't know, a weekend where you were but more I would, present? Well, I don't know. I, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't say that my life was generally improved <laughs> because I wasn't on Twitter. Right. But I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it was funny for me because I ran out Saturday morning and, or I don't know, maybe not morning, like Saturday around noon. And, uh, you know, we've talked about the Deshaun Warner commitment today, but um, he committed at, like, it was like two or three o'clock. And I yeah. was like, once I ran out, that I was, was like, the real, well, that was the real, disaster. I'm never going to know. It's like, no, no more sports news. Yeah. I had to Google at, at around three or four o'clock. I just went on Google and just typed in Deshaun Warner. He didn't Warner. have Instagram either. No, no. So I was like, okay, well, I found out <laughs> thanks to Google. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a Twitter with limits, like, it's pretty stupid. I, I've always thought that most of the people who were like, well, like once Elon Musk bought it and was doing some of this dumb stuff, like, and they were like, oh, Twitter's going to die, but then it actually led to more Should Twitter engagement. Should create a Blue Sky account? What is Blue Sky? It's like the next Twitter, I think. Okay. Or it's like it's like a social media service that is it's a startup. Okay. Uh, Possibly. Well, wait to be seen. <laughs> wait to be seen. We have time on this. But I always thought that conversation was overblown because I, I always felt like, I don't know. Now I'm starting to wonder. Like, you start limiting this stuff, that that just erases the point, and most of the people are on this for a certain reason to get all their news. Well, if you're limited after seeing a certain amount of posts that half of them you didn't even want to see, especially with the new Twitter formula that you have there, like, it's just so stupid. So what is this on a scale of, of zero to stupid? Uh, I think, I think to me, the stupid scale, it depends on if this is going to be like a permanent feature or if this was like a sort of attempt and then they're just going to go back to normal. If it stays as a permanent feature, this is like an 8 or 9. If it's just like this stupid BS, like, one-time thing that Elon did that was stupid and then he switches it back, I'll say like a 5. The problem is this stuff keeps happening, and it keeps rolling on each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, but this particular thing is really bad. Like, some of the other crap he's done, I've been like, that's kind of annoying and stupid, but I've adapted uh, by the way, I guess the Twitter former CEO, Jack Dorsey, was the one who developed Blue Sky. So, oh, really? I don't know. Maybe that is the way to go. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. I'm going to give this a stupid all the way. It's pretty stupid. Yeah. Uh, the Houston Rockets, off-season spending. They spent $210 million combined on Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. Okay. I didn't really mind the Fred Van Vliet thing. I mean, he's been good. I like Fred Van Vliet. I'm from Wichita. He mm-hmm. played at Wichita State, so I... Well, like when I was literally in high school is when he was like doing cool I stuff. I did think it was funny that he's getting more money than his field goal percentage, like more millions of dollars per year than his field goal percentage. Like, what do you mean? 
He shot 39% from the field and he's getting like 40 something million dollars oh. per year. That is yeah. funny. I do think yeah. in a vacuum though, you're right. Like, okay, maybe Fred Van Vliet's uh, real cost compared to other players should be closer to like 30 million. It probably wasn't overpay, but also it's like a short term contract, two years in a team option. No, and the stupid part of this is the Dylan Brooks yes. part. Why? Yeah. Why would anybody sign that guy? Right. Well, like, it's like what? there's there's literally no upside. Who are you bidding against? Who is going to give him a four year, eighty million dollar deal? Because we know the Grizzlies, the team he was just on, was like we're not we're not bringing him back at all. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. That's that's the stupid part of this. Like, I there's no positive reason why to bring that guy in. Like well, you're just asking for props. What does this do? Spending this much money on these guys, they're not even a playoff team, right? Are they? No. Maybe. No. Probably not. Well, I could. There's name, a lot of good teams in the I West. I couldn't name any other players on the Rockets. So that's well, Jalen Green's a former number two or number three pick. Like he's in year three. Like maybe he starts to break out. They, they just had a top five pick and wait, Amen don't Thompson. they have a uh, Jamari Smith? Jamari yeah, Smith? Jamari Smith. He was a top three pick. Like he got better as the season went on last year. Um, Alperin Shangoon is kind of interesting. I just could not give less of a bleep about mm, the Houston. This should Rockets. be do we give a bleep? Well, I, I, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Suns, Clippers, Warriors. Warriors, Lakers are all without a doubt better than them. So best case scenario, they have an eight seed, and that would still involve them getting ahead of the Pelicans, which who knows, that could happen, could not, depends on what's going to happen with like Zion and all that stuff. But even then, like the Pelicans still might have a better roster without Zion. Uh, the Timberwolves, which... I don't know, man. Timberwolves still might be better. The Thunder have a lot of young players progressing, and they were already better than them last year. Mavericks have Luka Doncic and, and Kyrie Irving. I, I don't know, man. They, they still might be one of the like three or yeah. four worst no, teams in the is, West. This so. is stupid. Yeah. yeah. This is like a nine. Mm. So I'm not going to go that far because I do, like you said, like I think it's a bit of an overpay, but I do understand, okay, if we're not going to be like that much of a contender for the next two or three years, what does it matter who we spend the money on? With the Dylan Brooks one, it makes it a lot more stupid because it is longer term. And Why? With how much you're paying him, he's going to come in expecting to be like the guy, you know? With Fred Van Vliet, at least, your guards were abysmal on defense the last couple years. Like, he's going to come in, be a good veteran leader, and maybe help the young guys. Uh, I'll give this a six. Ah, that feels too high. Five and a half. I'll give it five and a half. Okay. You went all the way stupid, though. I did go stupid, yeah. Okay, uh, BYU football is on the stupid scale this week. They tweeted out, new conference, new look on June 30th when they officially joined. And it was a picture. Which also, uh, they didn't join until July 1st, I thought. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. Like, like some of the school, I think it was like one or two of the schools joined one day and then one or two oh, of them joined the next. Okay, I don't know. It was weird. Okay, okay. Um, with BYU... Actually, BYU might have been the one that joined on June 30th, and the other ones joined July because they had something to do with leaving the AAC. Oh. BYU was not really... Le- uh, anyway, it okay. doesn't matter. It, kind of an innocuous tweet. New conference, new look. It has a picture of their stadium with uh, uh, Photoshop, yeah, so it's like I would a, assume. It's like, a, it's like a drone look. No, I think they put it on. I you think, think that's really there? I think so. I was imagining this was like a graphic that was like photoshopped. That would Why make would it even funnier. Why would they not put it on? That would make it way funnier. I feel like they definitely put it on. Why would they not do that? Uh, well, it might just not officially be on yet. Why, like, why would they paint it this early? In? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're right. Why wouldn't right. they? Uh, so anyway, what is there? You might be wondering what we're bickering oh, about. Oh, sorry, yeah. Um, the Big 12 logo. The Big 12 logo. The one on the left is on the 25-yard so, line. Yeah, so yeah, you know how where, yeah, you have the logo of whatever conference you're in on mm-hmm. both ends of your field, and it's all. I think it's always at the 25? Yes. Yeah. The one on the right is at the 15-yard line. <laughs> Oof. Okay, here's what makes this really stupid. Okay, let's say this is real. When they took the drone picture, before they pressed tweet, do you think anybody looked at it? Because, like, listen, I could easily, if I were, like, the grounds guy, I could easily see myself 
like live doing it and and messing it up, like going to the 15 instead of the 25 or something. I could see myself doing that. Honest mistake. But when you take a drone shot looking directly down on it where you can clearly see that you messed it up, how did no, like before you tweet that out, how does no one be like, hey, did you notice uh, something's up with the something's up with the logos? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> what 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 are we doing? I don't understand. Uh, they responded to somebody pointing out, yeah, we botched that. Our bad. <laughs> I love the transparency. Um, I, this is I just a general mistake. I think it's real. Uh, it might be, but I mean, I, either way, it's a general mistake. It, uh, they'll fix it. So it's not like that big of a deal, but it's, it's objectively funny. It would have been even funnier if they never tweeted this picture out, and that's how it appeared in the first game of the season. Like if nobody noticed it until the first game. Uh, but I'll, I'll give this, I don't know, three and a half. It's not that Yeah, big I'll say... Yeah, like four. Okay. Yeah. Another one of the new Big 12 newcomers is UCF. This is hilarious. They're on the stupid scale twice this week. Uh, so the first part of this is they debuted some new all-white uniforms. So white pants, white jerseys, white helmets with light gold UCF on the helmets. Which that's fine. The problem is that the jersey numbers are basically the lightest gold of all time. Like that, it's almost well, transparent. What I don't understand is, why don't they just make it black with black numbers? Like, like okay, so you know how they have the gold logo on the helmet? Mm-hmm. Do they have a black logo? I would think they do. Uh, make maybe. the logo black and make the numbers black. Boom, problem solved. But then it's not all white. No, I I understand. No, I well, it's not it's all so white stupid. anyways. It's got gold on it. No, when you look at this picture, it is legitimately like this is another classic. You can barely read the jersey number from a close-up picture. This is another classic case of people doing stuff without considering any ramifications mm-hmm. of the functionality of what this needs yes. to be. This happens all the time in sports, where sports people do something without even considering what the thing is actually needed. Yes. Like, I can't tell you how many stadiums I've been to where they build a press box, and the one spot that you need to be able to look out of the press box to see, they made a support pillar right, <laughs> right there. Right, right. Or they make windows that can't open. Mm-hmm. Or they make who knows what. Like they just they, do. People not think about why you <laughs> are doing these things. I don't think so. Because here's the other thing. What was the whole purpose? Let, let's go back to the very basics, the very foundation. Why were jersey numbers invented in the first place? Was it to make so you could feel tell cool? guys apart? Exactly. It was so the refs and the broadcasters and the coaches could be like, hey, there's that player. Yeah, I mean, even yeah, even before broadcast, it was just as simple as. We gotta know who's who. Yes. You're wearing, at the, I guess at the time you're wearing leather caps on your heads. We gotta figure out who's who. Yes. And now you have no idea. I feel so bad for whoever has to broadcast this game. I feel bad for the refs who have to do. The, like, if I'm a ref and and like the left tackle gets called for holding, I'm not saying the number. I'm just saying left tackle. Left tackle holding. It's like the classic the false start. Yeah. Everybody on the <laughs> offensive line. Dude, that's so bad. Boo them. Yeah. I'm, I'm very anti that. Um, by the way, if you do want to get, and this is, oh, so yeah, what, what is that on the stupid scale? I'm, I'm going. That's six. I don't know if it's all the way stupid. I'll go eight. Six and a half. Yeah. Um, the other one that UCF is on is that uh, there was some Twitter account, some like Big 12 media yeah. podcast account, something. Um, sorry, I, I'm not trying to like dismiss them. I just honestly can't remember. So uh, anyway, um, they basically said something about calling them Central Florida. And instead of UCF, which yes. University that's, of Central that's Florida, they are. that's University the full name, Florida, right? Yeah. And all these USF fans, UCF fans, <laughs> so great. That's going to make it worse. All these They're going to come after fans, us now. I know. I don't think they listen to the show, so we're fine. Uh, they all, might because they're in the Big 12 now. <laughs> that's true. They're just listening to all the different shows. <laughs> um, all these UCF fans came after the account and were like, 
don't call us by our full name. It's UCF. It's not Central Florida. It's just like BYU. Nobody calls them Brigham Young. It's well, well, some people do call them Brigham Young on on occasion. Um, they basically they just, just basically got really mad, getting mad at someone for calling them their full name. Well, this is like if I got really really mad at people for if they called me Nicholas. Yeah, like I don't care. Whatever, that's my yeah. name. Yeah. I mean, I don't answer to anything. Yeah. So why? I intro why? the show every day by saying our full names. I don't say, "Hey, you're Nick and I'm Derek." I, I mean, sometimes we do, but like, I guess that's true. But we, I, I, I say know. with Nick Springer, I'm no, Derek it's, Johnson, it's, right? No, like, no, yeah, this is this is really dumb. Like, literally, why do you care? Like, this would be like if KU fans got mad at for people calling them Kansas. Yes. <laughs> I guess is this the equivalent of uh, people getting mad when, um, like, a, a commit? I, I see this all the time. Somebody will commit to Kansas, and they'll be like, "I'm committed to Kansas University." And you'll see a couple people in the comments being um, like, "We we love you, appreciate the commitment, but just to let you know, it's University of Kansas." Or they'll be like. Don't uh, ever say that again, you know? Well, I don't know. I mean, if it's that extreme, maybe, but I don't know. People, I mean, well, it's like people go to, people get Kansas and Kentucky mixed up all the time. Yeah. So, like, no, but nobody's getting UCF mixed up with anything. No, it's, yeah. So, why do they care? No, I think it's so stupid. I, I want to start calling them Central Florida, though, just to, <laughs> because this that, yeah. is, this Central is brought Florida. to you by the fan base that had such a conniption about not winning the national title. They were really mad about it. Right? That, yeah. Yeah, so I so I feel like bad. This is a tough start to the yeah. Big Twelve. As as uh, we're welcoming membership. the new conference members, and you're trying to think of ways to agitate them, just know with with UCF, Central it's probably Florida. the easiest. You just call them Central Florida, and you say they didn't win the national title in whatever year that was 2016, 2017. Yeah. There we go, boom, and then they're already mad. All right, uh, stupid scale though, I will give that a honestly, that's really stupid. I'll go seven. I'll give it a nine. Um, Florida woman leaves a three hundred thousand dollar estate to her seven Persian cats as adoption request pouring. Could have saved this for Florida man later in the week, but I wanted to get to it now. How stupid is that? Yeah, this is wild. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, will we start seeing more of this with people having pets that That's claim true. to be their kids? And not having, yeah. You know, where people but start leaving their houses to their dogs. The problem the is that, like, typically pets don't <laughs> live as long as humans. <laughs> they just don't. You know what I mean? It's sad. No, I get like, it. No, I understand. I mean, listen, over the course of your life, even if you were to own a dog, like, throughout your whole life, you'd have to own, like, five dogs. Yeah. Probably. Right. Four dogs. Yeah, I mean, it depends how long you live and the dogs yeah. live. But, yeah, I mean, average dog lifespan, like, you know, it's not 30 years. What I want to see is I want to see the Persian cats fight over the will. <laughs> Who gets what? <laughs> Just like, you know, human suit. Yeah. That's what they should have, like, the puppy bowl, but to, to figure out who wins. Uh, that's the other thing here. Like, adoption requests pour in. Well, how, how are they going to okay. make sure that somebody doesn't adopt them? How stupid them? can this be if the lady has passed away already? That's true. Like, how? Like, can we call, can we call her there? stupid since she's not here anymore? That's true. That's kind of rude, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of messed up. Well, I mean, I guess, like, more power is stupid to her. Scale, but- is the stupid scale for people that are uh, trying to adopt the cats in order to get a part of the, the estate? I almost think that's smart. No. Why? Think of the cats. What do you mean, why? Well, you're, I, just, you're just using the cats now to get probably. money. That's stupid. Dude, if I, Dude, if I had of- the option of... Cause I'm not a big cat person. Okay. If I, if getting me a cat got me three hundred thousand dollars, I'd do it in a heartbeat. And like, I'd be nice to the cat. I wouldn't be like a jerk. You, like, okay, so you would actually I'd take feed care the of the cat. cat. I would take care of the cat litter, but so all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Of so course. you wouldn't just get the money and then say, "Oh, sorry, cat." And now it's no, no. I would feel indebted at that point. I feel like okay. I would feel like I would be haunted by the ghost of this lady if I did give up the cat. So I would, I would in the you back would keep of my the head. Cat? Be, yeah, I would, would I would you do? Would you do it nice. for all seven? 
Oh, what if you gosh, had to adopt all problem. seven No, cats? okay, at that point, I'm out. You're up for seven cats for $300,000? Yeah, but it's, it's not just $300,000 wow. cash. It's the estate. So I'm going to have to go through selling it and, you know, getting a realtor and all seven that paperwork. Seven cats is too many for you. Yeah, seven's too much. I'll do it for one, though. <laughs> What's the number for you? How many cats would you need to be like I mean, I, I enjoy cats. If it was 15 cats? Uh, I think at that point, I would just... What I would do is, because the other I would part just of this, take the money and I would just let the cats continue to live in the house, and then I would just pay somebody to go over and like pet feed them, them and stuff. Okay. And then whenever I wanted to go see them, I'd go over and hang out with them, and then I'd go back to my actual house. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, just know you'd have to have a long commute uh, between here and Florida. Um, <laughs> okay. This better, because uh, obviously tomorrow, July fourth, there is the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Nothing more American than that. Uh, there's a better. With DraftKings Sportsbook, this according to David Payne Purdom, who uh, writes about gambling for ESPN. He placed a $2,000 bet on Joey Chestnut to win tomorrow's Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. I said that weird. Um, it was minus 4,000 odds. Oh. Which means he placed a $2,000 bet that would win him $50. Uh, Yeah, I mean, $50 is $50, I guess, because he's not going to lose. <laughs> Listen. There's got to be one year he this, slows down, right? I I don't I don't know. Is this, this worth? This is going to sound un-American, really but I don't $50? I don't like the hot dog eating contest. Uh, just wasteful. I just no. I just, just I just think gross? it's gross. Okay. I don't like That's watching. Fair. I don't like watching grown men shovel meat and bread down their throats for three minutes. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I can't remember the last time I watched it. It's probably been like a decade. But like I I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. To I don't be have honest. a problem with it either. I yeah. just don't. I just don't want to watch. That's fair. Guys do that. Yeah, man, I don't, I don't get those bets where you do it. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. For stuff like that, too, where, like, okay, I would sort of understand something like that for, like, is Victor Weminyama going to go first? Right? There's there's nothing that's going to change that. If Victor Weminyama... I mean, if Joey Chestnut's not going to lose. If Well, here's what I was going to say. Like, if Victor Weminyama, it was reported the day of the draft, he tore both his ACLs, he still would have gone first to the Spurs. You know what I mean? With the Joey Chestnut thing... This is a eating competition. What happens if like he like starts actually choking? I, I don't know. And he gets high like and he doesn't win. Is that the equivalent of tearing an ACL? <laughs> I guess choking in an eating competition. I don't no, know. You know, I, that's just what I'm saying. Like I don't know. Uh, I'm not. Uh, what a scale that's stupid. I don't know. Five. Yeah. Okay. Four. Last one. Uh, this tweet from NBA on ESPN in regards to Chet Holmgren, and it has a picture: one from last year, one from next year. Chet has put on 13 pounds since joining the NBA. Eye emojis. Yeah, and he's 195 pounds to 208, and the pictures look like basically the same. Yeah, this is really bad. I don't understand what we're doing here. I mean, my why? only hope is that they were doing why? it as a joke. I don't think they were. But it's NBA on ESPN, so no, it I makes think me think they're not. I don't think it was a joke at all. I, I don't. I don't understand. This is one of those keep that one in the drafts, guys. <laughs> I thought you didn't like Twitter drafts. Think before you hit send. Okay. Twitter drafts are fine. Okay. You didn't like them on my draft rankings last week. Well, that's that's different. Okay. They're stupid. No, that that's totally different. That's a completely different. Um, stupid scale. I will give this a six. Like eight. kind of innocuous, doesn't hurt anybody, but it also objectively is very stupid. It's an eight. Okay. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's stupid scale for the week. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Casey missed it. Spoke with Phil Steele earlier in the day. We'll uh, get to that on our RCST replay coming up next. Thanks for listening to the best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN and Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere 
You're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.